Well, good morning, Northbrook. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Snow on the ground. We excited? Five of you are excited. I love snow in December. In December is the one month in Wisconsin where I'm like, snow is allowed. And then January, you can go away. We can go back to 70s, right? But that's, we're living in the wrong state for that. But we can always, we can always wish. We can always hope. Well, good morning. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Northbrook and excited to be with you. We are, we are mere days away from Christmas. It's our last uh, Christmas service before our Christmas Eve services. I hope you're ready. Hope you got all your presents. Everything's done. It's going to be no stress week, right? Yes, maybe. Um, two announcements before we get into the message. First off, uh, MB Life Magazine is out for January through April. You can pick it up in the lobby. If you're watching online, you can find digital copies online. Uh, this has everything going on at Northbrook January through April. So if you like to plan ahead, uh, encourage you to grab this. Our life groups for the new year, discover events, serve opportunities. It's all in here. So make sure you check that out. Also, uh, you can read a little bit more about our new series coming in January, One Step Closer is uh, our new series for January. It's our theme to kick off the year. And the idea is, as followers of Jesus, uh, one of the opportunities, one of the challenges for all of us is to continue to be intentional to grow in our faith. Um, if you ever get to a point in your life where you're just kind of stuck and just doing the same thing in your walk with Christ— uh, that's not a good spot to be. We as followers of Christ have this opportunity to continually grow and change and become more like Jesus. And we can't do all the things, but we can be intentional to take intentional small steps. And so that's what January is all about. Now, I know it's kind of cliche. January's the new resolutions that don't last a very long month, right? But uh, we are hoping that in, as the start of the new year comes, that we can be intentional to evaluate what we're doing and um, and take a step in our relationship with God. And to help with that, we actually created a, um, a tear-out in the MB Life magazine that has some possible opportunities for you to take an intentional step in the coming year. So things like uh, a marriage conference, uh, a parent conference, life groups, serve opportunities, um, reading the Bible, coming to a night of prayer, things like that are all in here. So I encourage you to check that out. There's also an article written in here by one of Northbrook's pastors, uh, one of our talented, handsome, smart, humble pastors. Um, no, that it, it's me. I'm the one that wrote it. I, it's not Mike. It's anyway. Okay. Um, Mike's handsome and talented. He's just short, but we love him anyway. Um, Okay, that was not planned. I got to continue on before I get myself in more trouble. Uh, secondly, second announcement, uh, it's Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve services are coming. We have seven to choose from. We have three on Christmas Eve Eve and four on Christmas Eve. Lots of options for you. There they are. Um, we do want to point out that if you typically show up late to church, um, if you don't like crowds, uh, if you want to have a low-stress Christmas Eve, we might suggest avoiding the 3 and the 4.30. Um, those services are typically the most packed of all Christmas Eve services. We're not doing tickets this year. You don't need to pick up a ticket. You don't need to show a ticket. Um, 
So feel free to come to any service. We're excited to host you. Um, but we want to encourage you. We love to make room for our guests and for people that, um, that maybe don't normally attend Northbrook. And to do that, if you, if you, if you can pick the first, one of the first five services, um, that would be helpful. But if not, any service, we're, we're happy to host you and excited to celebrate Christmas with you. So make your plans and, but do know if you come to those last two services, you might want to show up early and have a good attitude. Um, be jolly. And if you're crabby, Pastor Taylor will be in the lobby for your complaints. He's looking forward to that. All right. Uh, where, my, where are my criers at? Hallmark movie criers, country song criers, Monday morning criers. Okay. Prepare yourself. This video we're about to watch. You might need some tissue. You've been warned. Check it out. Something powerful about presence. I'm not talking about presence like the gifts that we give. I'm talking about presence, being with someone. Saw the expressions on their faces. Something powerful about being together. When my wife and I were dating and engaged, uh, most of our dating and engagement was long distance. I was in Springfield, Missouri for, for college. She was back here in little old Oakfield, Wisconsin. And uh, this might date myself for the young people in the room, but this was pre-FaceTime. This was pre-texting. I think at the time, texts were like five cents a text, you know? So uh, we started off our relationship emailing each other every day. And eventually we moved to calling, but it was, it was at the point where like if you were on the phone for like more than half an hour, the phone started to get hot and burn your ear. Do you remember that? So you knew when you had to get off the phone, it was like, all right, I think I need to, I think we need to get off my phone and my ears on fire, right? So, uh, and we were so excited. We would count down the days until I would drive back to Wisconsin or she would come down to Springfield and we would be together. Because as nice as email and calls are, there's something different about being together. Even now in our modern day with FaceTime and Zoom calls, and if, if, if the past few years taught us anything, it's even when you can see someone on a screen that's not the same. 
as being present, as being with each other. It's amazing how much can change depending on who you're with. Never had a moment where the mood in a room changed just by who walked in the room for good or for bad. A number of years ago, I was in Brazil on a missions trip uh, with some students, and uh, we finished up our mission trip, and we drove the seven-hour bus ride back to Rio, where we were supposed to fly out. And when we got to Rio that evening, we found out our flight had been canceled, and we were going to have to wait an extra day, another 24 hours, to fly out of Rio. And so the airline put us up in this beautiful, nice hotel on the beach in Rio, uh, with a pool on the roof, and I had to call my wife and be like, honey, I got to suffer for the Lord, 24 more hours in Rio, I'm really sorry. And uh, as I was walking through the hotel lobby that last day we were there, uh, all of a sudden I just felt the energy in the hotel ro- uh, lobby change. Like I could just tell, there was, all of a sudden there was some excitement, there, there was some people whispering and talking, and I didn't know what was going on, but I could just feel it. I could feel the atmosphere change in the hotel lobby. So I walked over to one of the workers who spoke English, and I was like, hey, what, what's going on? And they were like, there is, right now in the hotel lobby, she pointed, there is a, a soccer star for the Brazilian club Flamingo in our lobby. And um, the, only, the only soccer that I watch is the World Cup once every four years, I'll be honest. But I was like, this is exciting. Like, I got to get in on this. So I went over and I got a picture. I don't even know his name, but like, it was exciting, right? <laughs> There's energy in the room. That's the power of presence. For thousands of years, God spoke to people through prophets, wise men and women. And there were moments where he would show up in different forms or send his message through angels. He would reveal part of himself to us through his creation, through nature. Eventually a temple was built for him and his presence would be in the temple. But there was still this disconnect between the creation and the creator. There was this gap. And God being with us, being present. And many, many different civilizations, many different cultures believe that the gods were very far away and inaccessible and distant and uncaring and certainly not in our day-to-day lives. And then something happened that we celebrate every year this time of year. Matthew records the event in Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. They will call him Emmanuel. Which means God 
with us. God came down and was with us in the form of a human. He was, he was a part of our world. He entered into our world. And people that interacted with him were forever changed. As we read through Jesus' life, you can't help but marvel at how many people were changed just by being in his presence. I mean, it starts with Mary and Joseph. I mean, <laughs> their world was forever changed when they found out that they were going to be the parents of God. <laughs> but then it continued on. As we read the story, we continue to see people being changed by being in Jesus' presence. It continues on in the Christmas story with the shepherds. The shepherds are told by the angels that God is with us, that a baby is born, God in the flesh. And so they go and they see the baby, they worship it, and they spread the news. And, and then think about, think about how they must have gone back home and, and yet their experience stayed with them. I wonder the conversations that happened after the short little bit in the Christmas story that we read about. I mean, how can you ever go back to living your life the same now that you've been with God in the flesh? Uh, the past couple of weeks have been uh, the most impactful weeks of my life. Uh, I was able to spend 10 days in Israel. Uh, just got back on Wednesday. Um, a little jet lagged. Woke up about four this morning. So, um, but I, I, I had an energy drink, so we're good. But in Israel, I was amazing. Got to see some wonderful things. One thing that I got to see uh, was we went to Bethlehem. And uh, they, they have the, the field they believe the shepherds would have been in when the angels came to them. And right next to that field, there is a cave that they know shepherds have li- had lived in 2,000 years ago. And so there's a high likely, uh, likely ability, uh, likely a reality that the shepherds would have lived in this cave. The same shepherds the angels appeared to would have lived in this cave. And so I, I took a picture of it for you. Now, the benches were not there 2,000 years ago. But... The cave itself hasn't changed much in 2,000 years. Uh, you can see the, the, the black uh, on the top there. That's not paint. That's from campfires. That's from the smoke of thousands of years of fires inside that cave. And you just have to wonder what... what do, I, I wondered the stories that were told in this cave by those shepherds. After they came back from seeing God in the flesh right there in front of them. I have to believe that they were ever changed. And we talked a few weeks ago about how shepherds were nobodies, they were nothings, they were low in Jewish society, and yet God invited them to be present at the birth of his son. But it doesn't just end with the shepherds. Throughout the Gospels, we see people being changed by being with Jesus. In fact, people would go to great lengths just to be in Jesus' presence. One of my favorite stories is found in Luke 5. Luke 5, there's some friends that have uh, a friend who's paralyzed. Remember the story? And, and so they put him on a stretcher and they, they travel to where Jesus is. Jesus is in a home. He's teaching on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they can't get into the home. The home is packed with people listening to Jesus. And they don't just turn around and go home. Oh, no. No, they climb up on top of the house and they begin to tear open the roof to get their friend in Jesus' presence. Now, interestingly enough, uh, we're pretty sure that that home that Jesus was in would have been Peter's house. Uh, Peter, his disciple, Peter who lived on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is teaching in Peter's home. And uh, Peter's home is one of the, the things that we still have a very, very good uh, belief that we can identify exactly where it is in the, on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, because 
In the 300s AD, when Constantine makes Christianity the official religion of Rome, his mom, Helena, was a Christian. Um, and she was a Christian long before Constantine. And so Helena went around Israel and uh, tried to find relics, things from Jesus' life. And when she went to the Sea of Galilee, uh, she was able to talk to people that lived there. It had only been about 300 years since Jesus. And uh, they were able to point out the remains of Peter's house. And so uh, I was able to go there, and there's actually a church that has been built over it. But you can see from this picture, Peter's house. The remains of Peter's house. Now, um, what you're seeing there, the top part of the picture is the church that's been built over it. Uh, but inside that small room uh, with the wall there, that would have been Peter's entire house. And so you can, you can picture how it would have been pretty easy for a crowd to fill up that house entirely, spill out of it, so it would have been impossible to get their friend to Jesus. Uh, but that doesn't stop them. They climb up and they tear open the roof. And now if you go in the church, there's actually a glass floor where you can look down into Peter's house and in some ways, you can picture that this would have been somewhat the view that those friends had when they tore open the roof to get their friend to Jesus. And they get their friend to Jesus, and Jesus heals their friend because of their persistence. Quick side note, especially for the young people in the room. You need friends like those friends. I'm not talking about friends that vandalize somebody else's home. But I am talking about, you need friends in your life that are going to help you get closer to God. You need friends in your life. Look, all, all friends are either helping you grow and become more like God or pushing you away. There's no neutral friends. Friends are like elevator buttons. They're either taking you up, they're taking you down. There are no neutral friends. And if you want to live a life of peace and joy and hope, surround yourself with friends that are going to help you grow closer to God but if you want to live a life of anxiety and fear and frustration and sarcasm, then there's plenty of friends that will help you do that. Find friends that are going to help you get closer to God. Those friends tear off the roof and that person's life is forever changed. But there's lots of other stories, people doing everything they can to get in Jesus' presence. There's another story. Jesus has just found out that his friend, his cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed by Herod. And Jesus is sad, so he withdraws from the crowds. He gets on a boat, and he heads across the Sea of Galilee. He's trying to find a solitary place to be by himself. And the crowds run around the, the Sea of Galilee, and they beat him to where he's going. And so when he arrives at the other end of the Sea of Galilee, the crowd is there waiting for him. Talk about an introvert's worst nightmare. And I always thought, how is that possible? How did the crowds beat Jesus to the other side of the Sea of Galilee? How did they even know uh, where Jesus was headed. Um, so I had the opportunity to stay on the Sea of Galilee for a couple days, and I have a picture from one of my morning runs uh, by the Sea of Galilee. And uh, what's interesting, or what is of note, is that you can see, if you look closely over uh, to the left there, you can see the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee. The sea of Galilee is actually a small lake. And so um, it would be very possible for Jesus to get in a boat and head to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and the crowds to see exactly where he was headed and for them to run around the lake and beat, them, beat him to the other side. They were that desperate to be in his presence. And when he shows up, he's kind and he begins to heal and do miracles to those people that were so desperate for his presence that they ran around the lake 
and beat him to the other side. When people were in Jesus' presence, they were changed. Do you imagine being one of the people that were privileged enough to be in Jesus' presence for three years? To watch him walk on water? Watch him feed thousands of people with some loaves and some fish? Watch him calm storms? Watch him heal the blind, the lame, lepers? Watch him bring the dead back to life? To have the, the hope and the joy and the peace knowing that you are with Jesus and that he is in control and that he is at work? People were changed when they were in Jesus' presence. Or I should say, some people were changed when they were in Jesus' presence. But other people, Jesus' presence did nothing. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was on earth for 33 years, and three years he was doing ministry, and yet some people that were in his presence were not moved or changed by it at all. Many of the religious leaders in Jesus' day were not impressed, they were not changed, they were not moved by Jesus. In fact, quite the opposite. Whereas some people found hope and joy and peace and healing in his presence, for the religious leaders, many of them experienced Jesus and they came away skeptical, angry, disillusioned, frustrated, bitter, to the point where they decided to come up with a plot to have Jesus crucified. And that plot involved one of the disciples named Judas, which is interesting. Like if you grew up in church, you're familiar with Judas, you've heard about Judas, but think about it. Judas is with Jesus for three years. He watches Jesus do miracles, walk on water, feed people, raise the dead, and yet Judas is not changed by it. Judas is stealing money out of the money bag. Judas is not changed by it. And so when he sees an opportunity, he sells Jesus out for 30 coins. Judas isn't changed by it. Which leads us to a very important reality. God with us doesn't change us unless we let it. God with us doesn't change us unless we let it. God in his wisdom gives us free will. We can experience the goodness of God, the very presence of God, and not be moved or changed by it. It's possible to live your life with God in human form right by your side and at the end of the day be unchanged by it. Presence is powerful, but it isn't presence itself that holds the power. It's our response to the presence. It's our response. Think about that video that we watched at the beginning of the message, the, the, the military homecomings. It's not them coming home that's powerful. What's powerful is the response of the family members. That'd be a completely different video if they popped out of the boxes and everyone was like, oh, cool, you're back. No, no, no. What's powerful is the response of the family members. Presence is powerful, but it isn't presence itself that holds the power. God with us doesn't change us unless we let it. And here's the beauty, because we've been talking about Christmas past, right? We're talking about 2,000 years ago, but this series is about Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. Let's go forward. Let's move forward to present day. Present day, Jesus isn't here in human form, but God's Spirit is with us. 
God's Spirit is in fact with us. Jesus was crucified, he was raised again, and then before he left, he promised that God's Spirit would be with us. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Matthew writes that Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How can he say that? He is about to go Mary Poppins up into the sky and disappear. How can he say I'm with you? Because his, the Spirit of God is staying with him. The Holy Spirit is staying with him. God's presence, his spirit, is still going to be with him after Jesus leaves. Paul puts it this way to the Gentiles in Athens. Acts 17, verses 24 through 28. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Paul says, in God we live and move and have our bearing. God's spirit is with us. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul says, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's spirit resides in us. Another portion of scripture, Paul says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Christmas reminds us that we have a God who became one of us, but if that is all that Christmas reminds us, we, we miss it. Because not only do we have a God who became one of us and lived and died for us, but we have a God who left his spirit and his spirit is with us today. God with us isn't just about 2,000 years ago. God with us is a reminder of right in this present moment, his spirit is with you. The spirit of God is with you, and you don't have to abandon your sheep and run through a small Jewish town looking for it. You don't have to travel for miles and tear off a roof to experience it. You don't have to run around a lake to catch it. But you do have to embrace it, accept it, and allow the presence of God to change you. See, tomorrow God will be with you. Now, Jesus won't be following you around, right? We, we all can't have a Jesus following us around. That would be a little weird. But you do have the Spirit of God with you. As you wake up and you go about your day and you go to work and you interact with your family and your neighbors and you go to the grocery store, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is with you. Everywhere you go, with you. You don't, you don't have to run after it. You don't have to chase after it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good. You can't earn this. This is a gift. You don't have to come to church to find it. You don't have to wait for the perfect worship song to experience it. The presence of God is with you everywhere you go. You don't come to church to experience God. You come to church to be reminded of the presence that's been with you all week. But that presence, that spirit, isn't going to force you to change. That's up to you. 
The presence of God is with you, but what you do with that, your response to that is what matters. Think about last week. This last week you just had. How aware were you that God was with you? Did you allow the busyness, the craziness, the skepticism, the the harshness of our world to drown out the reality that God was with you? That everywhere you went, his presence was with you? That his joy, that his peace, that his hope, that his kindness, that his love was available to you because that spirit was inside of you? Did you Were you aware of that or... Did it get lost in all of the busyness and craziness and harshness and coldness of our world? See, awareness has power. There is power in simply being aware of something. In 1914, the world was at war. It was World War I. There were thousands of men attempting to kill each other on the Western Front. But that all came to a stop for many of them on December 25th, 1914. In what is known as the Christmas Day Truce, an estimated 100,000 British and German troops put down their guns, stopped shooting each other, went into the middle in no man's land, and began to sing Christmas carols, exchange gifts, and in some cases play a soccer game. It's one of the photos of some of them playing a soccer game. Think about that. These guys were killing each other 24 hours before this. They were shooting at each other. They had killed each other's friends. And then on Christmas Day, they put down their guns and they meet in the middle. And for 24 hours, they're not enemies. They're simply human beings on this planet. And Christmas Day, I mean, Christmas Day to the 25th, it's an arbitrary day. It's, it's not even the day Jesus was actually born. I mean, what's so powerful about Christmas Day? Well, apparently it was the awareness of the day that caused them to put down their guns and treat each other differently. And then 24 hours later, they picked up their guns and began to shoot at each other again. Awareness can change everything. And when you are aware the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, when you are aware that the God of the heavens and earth knows you and loves you and is with you as you go about your day, as you wake up tomorrow, his spirit is with you, his presence is with you, as you go about the realities of a difficult world and hurtful people and problems and issues and frustrations and fears, as you go about those, those things, if you are aware that God's presence is with you, then it's possible to find a little bit of hope, a little bit of joy, a little bit of peace, not because of your circumstances, but despite of your circumstances. Because if God is with you, well, that changes everything. So what would it look like this week to be a little more intentional about being aware of the presence of God with you? See, if all, if all we take away from Christmas is that, well, God came 2,000 years ago and that was so nice that he came for us and he died, well, well, then we miss some of the beauty of Christmas. The beauty of Christmas is not only that God came down and became one of us 2,000 years ago, but that God is with us today. That God is available to us today. That he, he's with you.
So what would it look like to wake up tomorrow and as you interact with family and friends, as you go to school, as you go to work, as you go to the grocery store, that you don't forget that not only is God with you, but there is power in that awareness. It can change the way you love, the way you live, the way you hope, the way you have joy, the way you have peace. It can change everything. You bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for becoming one of us. For entering this world and being with us. But more than that, I thank you that you continue to be with us. And Father, as we finish out the last week of Christmas shopping and all the busyness of the holiday season, may we not lose sight in all that we have to do and all that's going on. That you are with us. And if we allow it, that can change the way we live our lives. Thank you for your peace, your joy, your hope. And for those of us that feel discouraged, that feel tired, that feel worn down, may we experience your presence. May we experience your peace, your joy, your love this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.